Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I am your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 261 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about the S&P 500, and specifically the constituents of the S&P 500, and how large a part just a few companies play in your financial life. Uh, because it's important to note that even though you're investing in uh, this large diversified group of companies, if you own the S&P 500, which I've talked about uh, that being a good market index over time, if you own this, uh, then a few companies may really be driving your investment allocation. And so I think it's important that you know what those companies are, you know why that this is, and you know why it actually might be okay uh, that this is the case. So stay tuned uh, for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though if you could go down below hit the big red subscribe button like this video leave me any feedback in the comments down below and i'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there if you're listening on apple or spotify podcast be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms follow me on social media at mno with dylan and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things i'm putting out in these long form episodes on youtube and the podcast every single day and then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over time, then I can help you do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, building financial goals that are specific to you and your family's life and then helping you to attain those goals over time and then ultimately to help you to reach on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single person who watches or listens to the show on a day-to-day basis. So let us review for a moment exactly what the S&P 500 is. Uh, It's something that I have uh, talked about on this show multiple times. It's something that I will continue to talk about on this show as it continues to be uh, a major market index that we use to benchmark our investments to. Uh, But it's something that we need to understand, especially because it can be something very useful for us as far as investing our own money. So exactly what is the S&P 500? It's nothing more than a stock market index. It tracks around 500 of the largest companies uh, on the stock exchanges in the United States. Okay, so we're talking about large companies, and typically it's between 495 and 505 companies, but they just call it, uh, for short, the S&P 500. Okay, it's one of the most commonly followed equity indices, meaning uh, that it is a benchmark by which we can look at our own investments and see if we're keeping up with the quote-unquote market as a whole or not. As of December 31st of 2020, more than $4.6 trillion was invested in assets tied to the performance of the index. $4.6 trillion. That's not just the size of the companies in the index. That is the amount of money that was invested that was tied to the performance of this index. So all the uh, index ETFs and mutual funds that track the S&P 500, they were uh, invested in the assets uh, that are tracked to their performance. Okay, So that's a whole lot of money uh, that is tied to this particular index. Now, this is what we call a free float weight or capitalization weighted index. right? And this is where uh, you have companies that take up a percentage of the index based on their size, based on their market capitalization size. And all the market capitalization of a company is, is just the price that the company is selling for in the market. So the share price that you and I may see uh, on our Robinhood app or uh, on your stocks app on uh, your iPhone, the price that you may see times the number of shares that that company has outstanding. And that is what that company is quote unquote worth 
at that particular time to the market. Index funds that track the S&P 500 have been recommended as investments many, many times. I've talked about them, but they've been recommended by Warren Buffett and John Bogle, a couple of individuals that uh, are great long-term investors and believe uh, in the power of America and to invest in America over the long period of time. And they believe in indexing, right? Uh, and these are individuals that I trust and that I believe uh, know what they're talking about when it comes to investing and they recommend the S&P 500. So that's why I talk about it so often because I do think it can be a useful way to grow your wealth over a long period of time. Although the index only includes companies listed in the United States, companies in the index derive on average only 72% of their revenue in the United States. So uh, given that these companies are so large, a lot of their revenues do come from overseas. I mean, you got to think of the apples of the world and the Amazons of the world and uh, all these different companies, Microsoft and uh, these big companies that do a lot of business elsewhere, right? They make a lot of money outside of the United States. The index is one of the factors in the computation of uh, the conference board leading economic index used to forecast the direction of the economy and rightfully so because the S&P 500 could tell you a lot about the economy as a whole because it holds a lot of the largest companies in the economy. The index is associated with many different ticker symbols. You'll see uh, GSPC, INX, SPX, and then obviously there's all the, the ETFs and mutual funds uh, that track the S&P 500 that you can uh, also look up, like the SPY, uh, VOO, uh, the VFIAX, uh, you know, there are many out there that track the S&P 500 and you can look those up if that's something that you're interested in doing and something that you're interested in investing in. The index value is updated every 15 seconds or 1,559 times per trading day uh, by Reuters. Okay, Reuters is just this data analytics company, okay? The S&P 500 is maintained by the S&P Dow Jones Indices, a joint venture majority owned by S&P Global and its components are selected by a committee. So you have to meet certain criterion to be in the S&P 500 as a particular company. Okay, you can't just be in it because you are of size. Okay, just because you are in the top 500 in size doesn't mean uh, that you are actually going to meet the qualifications of the index. Okay, there are profitability measures, there are certain measures of, of age and of your ability to uh, maintain what you're doing and maintain your size over time. So uh, this is a process and uh, some companies get added and some companies get dropped from time to time. And that can have a big impact on the way that that company is traded because if somebody's buying a bunch of index funds, right, uh, those index funds are constantly buying uh, the constituents of the fund. And if it's tracking the S&P 500 and a company's in the S&P 500, that means their stock is going to continue to get bought uh, in this cycle. But if they fall out of the S&P 500, that's a lot of buying pressure that's going to fall away from that particular stock. So that's the S&P 500 in a nutshell, okay? That's what you need to know and understand about the S&P 500. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because uh, this is a huge way that we can invest and a passive and simple way that we can invest. I've told you before, and I stand by this, uh, that if you just passively invest, if you have a 401k or an IRA and you don't want to invest in individual stocks and you don't uh, care to do any research on your own, right? you should be putting money away into an index fund, an index mutual fund or ETF just every single month, every single paycheck, whatever it may be, Right? You should be systematically putting money away there 
and not worrying about it and letting that money grow over time because we've talked many times about how the S&P 500 has provided such great returns for investors over the long term. Over just the last 100 years, I say just the last 100 years, but over the last 100 years, okay, the S&P 500 has returned, if you were to take all the dividends that those companies created and reinvest them back into the index, you would have made 10.863% on your money annually, okay, which is a great rate of return in the stock market, okay, it's a great rate of return, period. But if we just take the last 50 years, since 1971, you would have made 10.923% per year. So either way you, you cut it, 10 point whatever percent per year, so over 10% per year that you could have made in uh, the S&P 500, that is a great rate of return. And that's why if you're gonna passively invest in an index, the S&P 500 tends to be a great index uh, to passively invest in. Now, given the way that the index is created, and this really gets down to the crux of what I wanna talk about in today's episode, given the way that the index is created, we have some issues as far as uh, the growth of our money. Now, not issues in a necessarily bad way all the time, uh, but it can set us up for a letdown. What do I mean? Well, if the companies in the index are weighted by their size, that means that the largest company is going to have uh, the most impact on what the index does day to day, okay? Which is fine as long as that large company continues to grow and grow at a good clip. Okay, but the issue comes when you have a few large companies that are such a large part of the index that they're driving everything. And if they are to go down, then the index by itself can just all go down because those couple companies did. Okay, so it's important to note that if you have companies that drive an index too much, right, we call this market concentration, the market's very concentrated among a few companies, then that can lead you to a letdown because uh, these companies can take up a large part of the index and then uh, if some of them fall off pretty markedly, then uh, the index can underperform over some time. Now on the contrary, and what we have seen, uh, at least recently we have seen, uh, the S&P 500, the positive returns can be driven by the companies that are very, very large, okay? So what companies can we think of that are very, very large constituents of the S&P 500 in the United States? Well, the top five, and these are the ones I wanna focus on today, uh, are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. All companies that we have heard of, all companies that you know, likely we all use their products. I'll just tell you this, I'm sitting here with uh, an Apple computer, a Mac, right? I'm using Excel or Word on this Mac all the time. And so that's a Microsoft product. Okay. We buy stuff off of Amazon, have a Facebook account and look stuff up on Google. So I use all of these companies basically uh, on a daily or weekly basis. Okay. So they're very uh, tied into everything we do in our lives, which makes them some of the largest companies in the world. And the more tied they are to the things we do, uh, then the more they are going to grow and the faster they are going to grow and the more market share they're gonna take up. And boy, do they have a lot of market share. So if you just wanted to know the amount of market share held up by uh, these five companies, okay? Apple is currently 6.11% of the S&P 500. Okay, so what does this mean? What does this mean to us? 6.11% of the S&P 500. That means that of these 500 or so companies that are in this index, okay, Apple, whatever return they make on a daily basis is going to be multiplied by 6.11% and then added in a weighted average form 
uh, to all the other returns times their weights. Okay, but it is going to have the biggest weight, meaning if Apple went up 2% in a day, there's a very high likelihood that the whole index would go up that day because Apple is such a large part of the index. Now, Apple can't drive the index all by itself, okay? So you have these other companies that are also very large parts. So let's look at Microsoft, okay? Microsoft is 5.77% of the index. So between Apple and Microsoft, you've got nearly 12% of the S&P 500 in just those two companies, two companies. And that's 12% uh, of your return on any given day if you own the S&P 500. Let's take it even further. Then you add Amazon, which is 4.12% of the S&P 500. And their stock price just fell uh, by over 7% uh, after their earnings call. And so this was a larger weight, but is now 4.12% of the S&P 500. You add that in, uh, now you're looking at about 16% of the market of the S&P 500 in just three companies. 16% of the entire index in three companies. Then Facebook is 2.29%. And you may say, well, hey, that, that's not much, right? Well, 2.29%, that's over one in 50, but this is one out of over 500 companies, okay? So this is still a very large proportion. And then Alphabet, Google, right, is 2.18%. And Google actually has their class A and their class C shares, okay? And if you take both of those sets of shares, uh, those constituents add up to over 4% of the index itself. So 12% between Apple and Microsoft. You've got another four in Amazon, which makes 16. Uh, then we can add about another six between Facebook and Google. So we're talking about 22% of the index, give or take, is in five companies. Five companies make up 22% of the index approximately. That's outrageous. That's crazy. That is such a large amount of concentration in the market. Okay, And this is not new. At the beginning of this year, the market was already very, very concentrated. Uh, if you look at the beginning of this year, the uh, percentage of the index taken up by the five largest companies, uh, it was still right around 22% of the total index, uh, which was the highest rate uh, since back in the 80s. It was higher than what it was back in the 80s, okay, which is crazy. And it's also higher than it was in the dot-com bubble, which uh, is even crazier because that had some very, very uh, crazy stock prices and run-ups in price. Okay, But the thing that differentiates these companies in a very real way is that they're not like the dot-com companies that were just running up because uh, they were new and because they said dot-com on the back end. These are running up because they are extremely profitable and they are extremely entrenched in our lives, okay? And we are going back to these companies time and time and time again, buying their products, their earnings are huge, their revenues are huge, uh, they are returning capital to shareholders in some cases, they are just awesome companies, okay? Now, I'm not sitting here saying that everything they do is awesome or whatever, okay? But what I am saying is that uh, they have taken over. They've done uh, very amazing jobs with their business plans, okay? So they make up, over 22% of the total index, okay? But if you wondered, well, what about the bottom of the index? How much does that make up of the index in a percentage form? Well, if you took the bottom 250 companies, okay? So we looked at the top five. If you took the bottom 250 companies, they account for just over 10% of the S&P 500, okay? So you had five companies take up 22%, and you've got the bottom 250 only take up 10%. 
Okay, so you can see why I talk about this concentration and why it's so important uh, to understand and to recognize because uh, you have to know that just because a company is in the S&P 500 doesn't mean it's going to be driving your returns. Just because you like some of the smaller companies doesn't mean that they are going to have a profound effect on your returns. Ultimately, okay, if Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google are all up in a day and they're up in a significant fashion, then the index is going to be up in a significant fashion. Not only that, the other stocks in the index will follow the lead of these large companies uh, when it comes to return because uh, there still is that systematic risk where all these companies uh, have this market risk that's associated with all of them and they tend to move together in a pretty real way. Okay, So let's just talk about year to date. Uh, if you were to have invested in each one of these companies individually, what type of return you could have made and then uh, what you could have made in the S&P 500. So Apple year to date, 12.71%. No slouch. Okay. And if you look over a five year period, uh, Apple has yielded their investors 442%, which is an outrageous amount. It's almost 90% per year over the last five years. Okay. So that's a, an amazing feat. Uh, for a company of this size. Then you've got Microsoft, okay, which year to date has created 30.88% in the way of returns. But over the past five years, uh, they have made 391.56%. Okay, so again, crazy good returns year to date and over a five year period. Okay, then Amazon. Okay, year to date, only 4.42%, but there's a lot of year left, okay? But this is a very large company, but what have they done over the last five years? You look five years, 334.42%. Again, huge returns. So it's really no surprise that all these companies are uh, some of the largest in the world because they've had huge run-ups in price over the last five, 10 years or so. Then Facebook, year to date, 32.48% in the way of returns. You look over five years, 184.7%. Now, this doesn't sound like you know the 400% returns that Apple had, uh, but if you take uh, you know 184% and divide it out by five years, right? You do just uh, some basic math there, okay? Then that's going to put you with a 37% give or take annual return, which is still an outrageous annualized return. Then Google has made 56.48% just year to date. Meaning, if I put in you know, $100,000 to Google January 1, I would have $156,000 now, which is just uh, amazing returns. And then over the last five years, uh, Google is up 245.74%. Okay, So these are amazing returns from some amazing companies. Now, what has the S&P 500 offered? Well, year to date, the S&P 500 has offered 18.77% which with an index that offers about 10% annually on average, okay, 18.77% through the first you know, seven months or so is a pretty darn good return. Then if you look back five years, the S&P 500 uh, has made 101.35%. Now this is lower than all of those other companies that we saw. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that the growth of those companies, even though it drives the market upward, it is not everything. It is not everything to the market. Obviously they make up a large portion of the returns that we've seen in the stock market in the S&P 500 over those past five years. Uh, but there are other companies that have dragged the market down some. Uh, and so on average, you're seeing about a 20% return per year of the last five years. But when you look over a longer period of time uh, and you see that that average is only 10 or so, uh, then you can see where other companies can drag the index down. Now, what does this tell us? Why is this interesting? 
Why do we care that there's so much concentration in the market? Well, if 22% of the market's taken up by these large companies, we need to make sure that these large companies are doing the right things. And we need to make sure that these large companies aren't setting us all up to fail. Because uh, if, you know, let's say we had an Enron situation, okay? And for those of you who don't know what happened with Enron, just a lot of fraud, a lot of lying, and a company that ended up going under, and it was one of the largest companies in the world when it came to market capitalization in the early 2000s. So if one of these companies were to pull something like that, and then they fall off the face of the earth, you know, let's say, you know, 4% of the index were to fall out, right? That's a real big deal. That's a big issue. Okay. And that's going to drive the index down quite a bit. And we've seen it before and it's likely to end up happening again at some point, not necessarily fraud, but, uh, you know, certain companies falling from grace. It does happen. Okay. But we have to be prepared for that. Now, why is the S&P 500 still a good investment choice, even though, you have all these constituents that make up such a large portion. Well, even though they are uh, something really amazing, right? Even though these companies are really amazing, even though these companies uh, are growing and growing and growing, even if they fall from grace, owning a diversified portfolio can help you uh, to bear the loss of these companies falling from grace, okay? So each time a company falls from the S&P 500, uh, then they would be replaced by some other company. Okay, or if, or if a group of companies fell from the S&P 500, they would be replaced by another company. The S&P 500, the beauty of it is that uh, it rewards being good, right? It rewards being a good company. It rewards being profitable. It rewards uh, being of adequate size. It rewards growth, right? And so if companies aren't good enough to remain in the index, then they will ultimately fall out of the index. And if they're not good enough to stay as large as they are, then they will decrease in the weight that they have on the index itself, okay? Which is good for the investor, even though it may create some short-term pain uh, in you know, owning the S&P 500, it won't persist over the long-term because even when these companies fall off some or fall out, you see other companies come up uh, and they make up a large portion of the market in and of themselves and they grow and create returns for you, okay? So uh, it is not to fret that these companies do take up such a large portion of the market, but uh, it could lead us to a point uh, where, you know, you have five companies that make up, you know, 30, 40, 50% uh, of the market as a whole, which is extremely significant, Okay, this is extremely significant and uh, it really makes it to where you only look at these companies. And what do all these companies have in common? These are all big tech companies. Okay, these all uh, fall into the same, not the exact same sector or industry, but uh, they are all large technology-based companies. Okay, and so they really follow one another when it comes to returns. Okay, they follow one another when it comes to innovation. They work with one another. And without a doubt, these companies will slow in the way of their growth over time. But then the question becomes, can anybody ever take market share from them, right? Will they ever truly fall from grace, right? Will they ever be taken down by, let's say, some regulation that wants to do some trust busting or whatever, right? Uh, will this ever occur? It may, okay? But is it going to affect shareholders so much that they should run from a diversified portfolio like the S&P 500? My vote is probably not. Now, there are some real solutions if you are worried about uh, the fact that there's concentration in the S&P 500 that you can look to uh, that can help you uh, if you are afraid that a lot of concentration in a few stocks uh, is going to you know, set us up for a letdown. And things that you can do are you can uh, invest in more diversified 
portfolios okay so you can buy etfs or mutual funds in things like the russell 2000 or russell 3000 or wilshire 5000 or something like that right where it's a lot more companies uh, and you can track uh, a far more diversified portfolio a lot of these uh, may be called total stock market indexes right almost all of the major mutual fund and etf providers have total stock market indexes okay so you could invest in those and those can uh, provide a little more in the way of diversification away from some of the larger companies but they can still be uh, market capitalization weighted so those larger companies can still drive uh, those indexes but something that you can do to get away from uh, the market cap weighted issue where the larger companies are taking up a large percentage of the portfolio is to buy some equal weighted ETFs or mutual funds. So they have S&P 500 equal weighted, basically meaning uh, that this particular index is going to hold all the companies in the S&P 500, but they're going to maintain an equal weight in each of them. So the largest companies aren't going to just run away with the percentage of the portfolio that they are. Okay, the smaller companies will have the exact same proportion of the portfolio that the larger companies are going to have. Now, over time, uh, this can be problematic to returns because uh, as those large companies do grow and they do get larger or as new large companies come up and they're growing really, really fast, they're not going to take up a larger and larger portion of your portfolio. Therefore, they're not going to continue to grow more and more of your money in a compounding rate. What's going to happen is they're going to have to be brought down back to the equal weighted portion. And so losers in the portfolio are going to catch money uh, in the same way that the winners are. So if you're systematically adding money to this index, uh, then you're going to be adding money to both winners and losers in an equal way. And this will kind of stink sometimes because uh, you want to be adding money to companies that are going to continue to grow and grow and grow. But you could be adding money to some real losers. Okay, so it can be problematic to returns, but if you are concerned about the problem of market concentration, then it can be a real fix. Ultimately, is it a big issue? Ultimately, is it going to be a problem? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I cannot imagine life without these five companies and then some of the next companies on the list, right? If you just extend the list a bit, okay, and you look at uh, you know the next five, you have Berkshire Hathaway, you have Tesla. You have NVIDIA. NVIDIA is a semiconductor maker, right? Which has been one of the hotter stocks in the market over the past year or so. JP Morgan, Johnson & Johnson, keep going. Visa, United Health, Home Depot, Procter & Gamble, MasterCard, right? These are all companies that we know and companies that we use, okay? So the likelihood that one of these companies goes away is relatively low, but the likelihood that a large portion of them go away or uh, stop growing or, or don't uh, have a big part in our lives anymore just doesn't seem realistic. But I'll go back to something that Warren Buffett talks about all the time. He talked about uh, at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting in May. Uh, he talked about how, you know, in 1989, uh, the companies that were the largest in the world, many of them were Japanese companies, okay? Many of them were not. Uh, American companies. Although there were American companies in the top 20 uh, largest companies, they weren't all American like they tend to be now. Right now, uh, you have like 13 or 15 of the top 20 are American companies, uh, but back then it was only like six were American companies. But the, of those six American companies, some of them are still around, but they are not the same that they were. They aren't growing like they used to grow. They aren't doing the things they used to do. Basically saying that what we see as the largest companies in the world today and the companies that we can't seem to live without and we can't imagine the world without those companies, those companies may not be the same in 20, 30 years, okay? We may not 
think that anybody can take down Google. We may not think uh, that Apple could ever lose market share. We may not think that the iPhone is going anywhere. We may not think that Amazon or Amazon Prime are going anywhere. Okay, and it doesn't seem like they are in the near future, right? But who's to, who's to say, right? Who's to know what's going to happen in the next 30 years? Who's to know what technology and innovation is going to be? Because we know what it's been in the past 30 years. Because 30 years ago, there was no iPhone. 30 years ago, uh, good luck having Wi-Fi because there was none. Uh, I mean, there really weren't even cell phones in wide use that were, you know, smaller than a brick. Right, So uh, all of these things that occur over time, they lead to more innovation. They lead to companies making their way up into the S&P 500 and then eventually taking over some of the largest in the world. So even though concentration happens and we may be at record high concentration right now, I still believe in the S&P 500. I'm still putting money in the S&P 500 every single month in order for my money to grow because I do believe in those companies. I do believe uh, in the S&P 500 as the uh, conduit by which you can make money over time. And even though there's a lot of concentration, uh, I am willing to take returns if they are going to be there. Okay. So don't be afraid of investing in something like the S&P 500, but do your research, understand uh, what it is and how it works. I tried to help you with that a bit today. And then understand that even though concentration is a real thing and concentration can be an issue uh, if you know some major catastrophe occurred, on the other hand, uh, it has been a characteristic of this uh, particular index for a long period of time, this market cap weighted index, uh, and it has never led us astray. So just uh, stick to your gun, stick to your investment thesis, and I think you'll be okay over the long term putting money into the S&P 500 systematically. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, building a financial plan that is specific to you and your family's goals. Uh, and then pushing towards those goals over the long term, and then ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.